Welcome to the Cambridge Tech Podcast, talking all things technology from the heart of the UK's tech capital. Here are your hosts, Faye Holland and James Parton. This week's episode is our second ever live episode, recorded at this year's Cambridge Tech Week. I hosted a panel discussion covering the Cambridge Tech ecosystem built around the launch of a new Bohurst report covering all the key data points for the Cambridge Tech cluster. You'll hear from Henry Warwood from Bohurst, Tabitha Goldstub, Director of Innovate Cambridge, Christine Martin, Head of Seed Funds at Cambridge Enterprise, and myself who chairs. Henry opens proceedings running through the highlights of the report, followed by a panel discussion and audience Q&A session. The discussion starts with the brand of Cambridge, the level of investment going into the tech and life science sectors within the city, and moves on to explore the increasing crossover between those two sectors. Talent is covered and how post-pandemic remote and hybrid working enables the talent pool to be expanded, with Tabitha introducing the concept of a Cambridge state of mind. AI, of course, comes up as a key opportunity for Cambridge, and we discuss the mainstream AI narrative. Questions prompt discussion around international benchmarking, creating the right environment for innovation, trends and check sizes in the investment environment, what can we do to improve commercialization of early stage companies, what would you do to help Cambridge if you were Prime Minister for a day, and we end on what are the threats and opportunities for Cambridge moving forward. So sit back and enjoy the conversation. Thanks for having me here today to talk to you about a um, little bit of research that we've done on the Cambridgeshire tech sector. Uh, my name is Henry Warwood. I lead research and consultancy at uh, Bohurst. Bohurst is a platform tracking the UK's economy with a particular focus on everyone who's innovating, growing, or has the potential or ambition to do uh, either or both. We find those companies by, by looking for external signals of, of validation. So we track uh, all of the spin-out activity from um, uh, from the, all, all universities across the UK. We track all uh, equity investment and venture debt. We track companies attending accelerators, companies getting money um, through various Innovate UK programs. Uh, and that gives us our universe of, of companies that we're interested in and that we've analysed for, um, for the little report we put together today. 5.2 million companies in the UK that we've got information on. We then look at all the ones raising uh, investment. 26,500 companies have used uh, equity investments. So it's something that we talk about a lot and very relevant to the tech sector. But in the sort of uh, scale of the UK economy, quite a minority pursuit. So the, the companies that we talk about in this report are real uh, outliers, both in terms of how they grow, how they function, uh, and their return, um, I guess, to, to UK PLC. But we've looked at every single company uh, that we could find in Cambridgeshire, so about 60,000 to, to begin with. Uh, and then we've looked at the ones that we classify as high growth and also ones that are high growth with offices outside uh, of Cambridgeshire as well. So looking at those who are a lot of businesses that we look at very relevant for the tech sector in uh, Cambridgeshire might have their functional headquarters in London, for example, but uh, a research headquarters uh, in Cambridgeshire. So all of those companies are, are captured in our numbers as well. And so we get to uh, a total of 766 high growth, active uh, tech companies uh, operating in Cambridgeshire. 
560, almost 560 of those companies have used equity, but that's been worth about 8 billion. So some real outliers in there in terms of the amount raised. That's taking up a decent chunk of the overall UK amount of, of money going into these companies. Um, slightly smaller number uh, receiving grants and actually 169 spin-outs with a presence in Cambridgeshire. So not just the ones from Cambridge Uni, but other universities coming and having functions uh, here. If you look at investment, it used to be up and to the right, everyone's favorite kind of kind of graph. It has dipped a bit in 2022, not as much as the rest of the UK. So there's this positive story, story there against a backdrop of an even greater decline, it's fallen by less. That sounds like I'm really scraping the barrel for, for the positive news story there. But actually, these numbers are holding up very well. And still in 2022, over one and a quarter billion pounds into Cambridgeshire tech companies, which is great. Grants, grant activity a bit more erratic, but actually 2022, a record year for the amount of grant money going into uh, Cambridgeshire tech companies uh, as well. As I said, this is all uh, available online where you can, you can read into the numbers in more detail looking at the, the top spin-outs by the amount of equity that they have received. And so that, that number that I mentioned, 8 billion received by Cambridgeshire tech companies since, um, since we started in, in 2011, a huge chunk of that driven by some very large uh, raises done by uh, various uh, spin-outs. I think I was billed for about five minutes. Hopefully that's I've sort of run to, run to time. I'm happy to take more questions uh, during our panel on any of the data, but I think it's yep. over to our panel. Thank you, Henry. Let's talk about GrowthWorks. It's the fully funded program that's supporting the leaders of ambitious growth businesses to scale and double their profits and productivity. If you're looking to take your business to the next step, GrowthWorks will support you to plan bigger, scale faster, and stay ahead of the game so you can deliver on both your financial and market share targets. Exclusively for businesses across Cambridgeshire and Peterborough, GrowthWorks is here to help you. Get started and arrange a call with them on www.growthworks.uk. Um, so I'd like to welcome up Christine and Tabitha to join us on the panel discussion. So I've got a few uh, questions to kick us off and then feel free to raise your hand if you have a question. Just let us know who you are, where you're from. So to kick things off, um, Tabitha, I want to start with you. Let everyone know who you are. Quick kind of two minutes on what you will do. Okay. Uh, I'm Tabitha Goldstorp. I'm an entrepreneur by background. I came to Cambridge about six months ago and became its biggest fan and cheerleader and now officially uh, helping to write the innovation strategy for the region um, at and so the exec director of a company called Innovate Cambridge or no an initiative called Innovate Cambridge um, that initiative is part between uh, CIC um, Cambridge Innovation Capital and CE Cambridge Enterprise and uh, and the university uh, led by Andy Neely and so I've had the pleasure of meeting over the last, well, since January, and consulting with over 500 people to try and figure out how we make sure that Cambridge continues to be uh, the incredible place it is. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Christine Martin. I'm the head of seed funds at Cambridge Enterprise. And uh, Cambridge Enterprise is the commercialization arm of the University of Cambridge. So Cambridge Enterprise is 
uh, mission is to help academics meet their commercial aspirations. And as the head of seed funds, my team get involved if there's going to be a um, company formed. So last year, for example, we formed 15 companies and uh, the seed funds invested in 11 of them. So the university has a not quite unique, but um, a, a very supportive uh, seed investment role, the university puts its balance sheet money to work to support university spin-outs and to help in the early days of company formation when um, there's a lot of technical risk and, uh, and it, it's a great thing that the university puts its own money to bear in, in these circumstances. I guess we know Henry. <laughs> and I'm James Parter, the Managing Director of the Bradfield Centre over on the Science Park. So, Tabitha, back to the first question. Um, the, the, the narrative around Cambridge and the brand of Cambridge uh, is something obviously you spend a, time, a lot of time thinking about now with, with Innovate Cambridge. Um, do you think the report and the data that we've seen this morning is helpful to emphasise the vibrancy of the tech sector inside Cambridge, as well as the perhaps more famous life sciences sectors? I do, and I, I think it's interesting that once I got here, I felt the feeling of the life sciences being a bigger sector, because actually, as a Londoner, I thought that Cambridge was really a tech sector. So when I got here, um, I learned more the other way around. Uh, the thing that excites me the most about Cambridge's tech sector is the fact that we're not here creating potentially, you know, a dog walking app or a social media thing or something to what look what we look like when we're older or what we look like when we're a baby or, you know, what I'm excited about is that we're here and we're using deep tech to do serious things, addressing the SDGs, trying to figure out how we're going to have breast cancer screening that's faster, better, cheaper and so on, rather than a sector that is racing to what I potentially see as the bottom with, um, you know, social media. So Henry's data definitely shows with things like Graphcore, Darktrace, the companies here are doing incredible things mm. that are actually going to change the world for the better rather than just change the world um, uh, in general. So I feel very excited that that's the brand we should need to double down on. The other part of the brand that is so important is collaboration. And us thinking about the, the, the magic dust between interdisciplinary activity at the research level and then collaboration between uh, academia and industry and then industry and the wider world and how we ensure that Cambridge is part of the UK and the international story at all times. You know, nothing really should be done alone. We'll go much further and faster together. Great. Christine, what's the kind of mix that you see uh, on the investment side between life sciences and tech? So we are pretty much 50-50. And I think also, um, I think we can own our own narrative because Cambridge obviously is amazing in the life sciences. And, you know, maybe I'm a little biased because I come from the life sciences sector, but Cambridge is also amazing on the tech side. And, you know, we heard Herman Hauser yesterday, you know, Cambridge was the birthplace of Raspberry Pi. Mm. There is a huge amount going on in the tech sector. And if, and if we step forward with our narrative and we tell everybody about it, then, then you know, Cambridge can start to own that narrative within the UK and more broadly. And Tabitha's absolutely right, because Cambridge is also strong in the life sciences, the opportunity for that overlapping space where AI and quantum can get involved in, you know, diagnosis and yeah. patient stratification is, is a fantastic opportunity. And Cambridge can be right at the forefront of that for the UK and globally. And Henry, obviously, as someone that doesn't work inside Cambridge on a day-to-day -day basis, what's your perception of Cambridge before you ran the data? Um, yeah, sorry, I was aware that I was coming down from London to tell you all what's happening in, uh, in your backyard. But 
in in the data, what stands out is the role of spinouts. I mean, it, it as as a local area, it has the <laughs> second highest density of, uh, of of spinouts as a proportion of the of the tech economy. What you do also notice is the sophistication of the investment pool surrounding it. And although the uh, top ranked for spin-out density might be the other place, you do notice an absence of, of some of that capital around Oxford. Sorry, I keep saying it like he, he who must not be named. Uh, so it's the sophistication of the capital, uh, particularly at the very earliest um, stage. Uh, you do notice the sort of pool and both in terms of depth and breadth of availability of uh, angel capital that understands deep tech is different to Oxford or almost any other any other city uh, in in the UK. I think I did see a Cambridge Angels on someone's name badge. I wasn't paid to uh, paid to say that, but you can actually see borne out in the data the sort of the strength and the, I think also the, yeah the breadth of the networks because those networks do exist in other places, but don't just have just don't have as many people. Uh, in them. So that's something that really stands out in the data. Excellent. Christine, I wanted to come back to a point you just made um, about the increasing crossover between the tech sector and the life sciences sector, um, especially around AI, data science, all of these areas. How well set up do you think Cambridge is to continue that trend? And maybe a second second question is, what does the talent pipeline in the city look like to address that need? So I think Cambridge is very well set up. It has a focus on AI. The Milner Therapeutic Institute has a focus on AI. There's uh, a lot of that interaction across between um, the computer lab people and the clinical side of things. And I think that that's going to be a really exciting area. And, you know, even eight, nine years ago, people started thinking, how can AI solve this problem or that problem? You know, Helix is here. I think Benevolent AI has a place on the science park. But even more so now, um, it's, I think the solutions are becoming much more sophisticated. So it's not just how can we use AI to do better in silico hit finding, which, you know, in silico hit finding has been around forever. But it's now how can we use AI to actually do target finding, which is like the next most exciting thing. Herman Hauser was saying yesterday, is it going to be the, are we going to get to the circumstance where you can actually run a clinical trial? totally through AI and, and therefore get to the solution for patients so much faster. So I think all of these things are very exciting and I think Cambridge has a massive opportunity. We've got, you know, the amazing people, we've got amazing researchers and, and then of course it comes to the talent to actually then operationalize and deliver. And I think, you know, it's come up time and time again throughout this, this conference. Talent is tricky. It's tricky because, you know, Cambridge is relatively small. But I think as Cambridge grows and we have more companies and we attract more investors and we have, you know, I think we will be able to attract talent in, but we're going to have to attract talent in. You know, we don't want to be isolated. We don't want to look like we're closed off from everywhere else. I think it needs to come in from outside and we need to make ourselves attractive to bring those people in and also to bring the investment in. And I think it, it all goes together. And I think one of the things that um, Innovate Cambridge is doing is really kind of trying to make sure that the rest of the world can see how good Cambridge is and, and will want to come and spend time here. And you know, once people do, that they stay. I mean, that's why there's so many angels in Cambridge is because People had their companies here, they were successful, they made some money, and then they're here helping the next generation yeah. of companies. And, and that's not just helping with cash, which is great, but helping with experience, which is really, really important too. Yeah, just as a, a, sh a shameless plug, because you were talking about uh, in silico medicine uh, so much, we do have a, 
a separate report on yeah. Insilico that does also find a very strong Cambridge, uh, Cambridge cluster in that. Excellent. So we look forward to that. <laughs> Obviously, with pandemic happening, you know, the, uh, the acceptability of remote working has become uh, as more widespread. You know, that might help talent supply with like a, a, a further net that you can throw. Uh, obviously, there's downsides to that in terms of building company culture and making sure people feel part of a company. But do you think that's an advantage to Cambridge to advertise that and, you know, actually draw talent from across the world without people necessarily having to move here? Yeah, in the uh, Innovate Cambridge process, we've been thinking about, a lot about a Cambridge state of mind. So not having to be boots on the ground every day, but the, the, the feeling of being part of the Cambridge ecosystem. And Emily Schuckberg, who's obviously one of our wonderful climate academics, she talks a lot about the fact that she's got people in the Outer Hebrides, people all over the world who feel like, or who are, part of Cambridge uh, and part of the ecosystem here. And so I think there is, um, there's a doubling down on just that. And then there's also thinking about how we look at the neighboring regions, so into the east, and, and actually including and ensuring that we are growing our own talent and bringing in talent from slightly further afield. You know, the east of England is an incredible opportunity that we're seeing Angela Ruskin, for example, working on vocational courses for, uh, sorry, working with the local schools on vocational courses and then on apprentice level uh, degrees. And so there's a, there's a real, willingness i think to try and think about how maybe you come to cambridge once a week and it be something that's part of the ecosystem i do think that the pandemic definitely showed that as an opportunity that we need to double down on yeah, yeah excellent um henry um so you're obviously the man with the numbers um how does how does cambridge benchmark both in the, at a uk level and then also internationally globally yes yeah, so I, I can speak to the uk uh, uh level um best uh, there, I think it comes down to this. Uh, we've talked about investment a lot, and sort of Christine, to your point, it's not just about investment. And the, the expertise networks are, are very good, but in terms of the the signals that are most visible to us, investment is is a is a huge one. And in terms of the sort of quantum raised by the companies, um, they get much higher than than other deep tech companies. That's probably where we see most of the most of the difference. Obviously, uh, for some of <laughs> Tabitha's companies that might be racing to the bottom, those those deals get a bit strange and can can skew everything. But when you're particularly when you if you sort of take those kinds of software businesses out of the London picture, you really see um, the sort of quantum being raised by by Cambridge companies as being being quite impressive and sort of for for deep tech and for life sciences being the uh, the level to beat for for um, for other other cities. We can see on your data the behind you there with the artificial intelligence is by some distance the largest growth area right now. So maybe two questions. I'll start with Christine. Are, are you seeing that in the companies that are coming and pitching to you? Is AI now dominant, dominating the pitches and the 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 startup ideas coming to you? Yes, we are, and I think you know. To be clear, some, some of our companies are more very sophisticated ML at the moment, but actually we do have a whole slew of companies where it is genuinely AI, you know, using AI to monitor buildings from afar, both during the construction process and then maintenance afterwards, you know, using AI, you know, to analyze legal documents, yeah. um, but, but also using 
very sophisticated ML as patient stratification. And it's not just genomics data going in um, or multiomics data going in, but it's also things like imaging. So again, you get that crossover between tech and understanding imaging and then applying an AI process and, and, and combining these different data inputs. And that's one of the, you know, it's, again, it's the crossover combination stuff that really could make a, a big difference to the speed of medicines and, and patient outcomes. Tabitha, you're the, obviously, well, I say obviously, the chair of the UK government's uh, AI council. So what's your view on the current mainstream media narrative around AI? It's a little bit all over the place right now. Uh, there was obviously the open letter about stopping large-scale AI experiments, which I don't believe you signed. Um, what's your take on where we are right now and how do we flip that to a positive narrative to explore the opportunities but being mindful of the potential pitfalls of AI? That's a very good question. <laughs> You've got two It minutes. might take the whole <laughs> of the year to solve. I think that ever since the 60s, there's been a dystopian utopian swing and every time there's a new breakthrough models data we we go through the same panic the only thing that will ensure that the right outcome is that we have the right socio-economic process it's not actually the artificial intelligence itself huh. um, we live in you know a late stage capitalist environment and that is what is producing the risks around artificial intelligence and so i think hence why it's not really solvable now and <laughs> really not as um not the focus for today because ultimately the focus for now is how do we as a tech community ensure that the technology is being used when it is being used on the things that we really do know need to be solved for and that the data that's being used is properly procured properly safe, you know safely kept we're not infringing people's privacy there's some really specific things we can be doing now um, as technologists but we also have to recognize that as technologists we're not going to solve the policy challenges or the, the fact that we live in a society that benefits the few not the many so there's so many other things that need to be solved for which luckily we also live in Cambridge where a lot of that is happening mm. you know we have incredible philosophers here um, policymakers we have uh, uh, we have an opportunity I think to be a place where that both conversations happen um, obviously today is much more around how do we use the technology rather than how do we ensure it then gets deployed wisely. Your sort of main question is what can we do here is we've always had a Cambridge wonderful sort of let a thousand flowers bloom mentality that must remain at the research level and all the way through. And I think that it's about ensuring that once the flowers have bloomed, how do we then help them scale, get in the right late stage capital, as Henry was saying, and, um, and ensure that some really, really brilliant businesses can be built, scaled, um, here in Cambridge. Thank you. Let's open up to some questions. Uh, hi, Chris Bruce, uh, Cambridge Wireless and the Cambridge Tech Week Committee. Um, really great set of research and, and data, Henry. My thoughts are that's all about the UK and is really the comparator set for Cambridge other regions of, of the UK or should it be international in the States or Asia or parts of Europe and how do we make sure we're comparing with like for like and learning lessons from other parts of the world? <laughs> Potentially quite, uh, quite, quite a big question there. There's a couple of different angles uh, on that. I guess we, we think in terms of sort of growth and finance and uh, access to capital, that's sort of what, what 
make, makes us tick at, at, at Bohurst, but there's also issues around sort of tech sovereignty. If you're if you are concerned, you know, you've got to think about are we are we getting ahead on the on the technology side, um, but but on the sort of creating the right environment for in, in, innovation, if you like, rather than what that innovation um, can achieve. There's still quite quite a long way to, to go, although I was extolling the virtues of these companies and the amounts that they have been able to raise. Um, Cambridge leading the pack on, on late-stage deep tech uh, uh, funding. The pools of capital in the US uh, are much deeper, and you do see for for UK tech companies, they, they look to that pool of capital. So there's much more for us to do in terms of a big one is getting domestic uh, pension funds to to invest in, in UK tech companies. Uh, that speaks to some of Tabitha's points as well, because that's how we enfranchise everyone uh, in the in the uh, financial benefit of of the of the success. So there's a lot to be done there. It's not sort of a, a zero sum game, because at the moment, a lot of the tech companies do then go to go to the US. And uh, yeah, we want our, our tech to have global reach. And it's worth saying that the Innovate Cambridge process has benchmarked Cambridge against um, Boston and other international cities, specifically against life sciences, deep tech, and per capita basis as well. So that report will come out towards um, uh, in October. So we'll be able to hopefully share some of that then. Mike, you have a question? Hello, Mike Butcher from TechCrunch Journalist. Um, is anyone in Cambridge a bit embarrassed that OpenAI wasn't invented here? I think so. And I think we should. I think we should be, and I think that that's quite a good feeling because that uncomfortable feeling will make sure that the next thing is built here. Fair comment. Morning. Thank you very much for a great talk, Samantha Deacon, um, at Impulse Program at the Maxwell Centre. Question for uh, the panel, but probably um, mainly for uh, Harry. Um, where are you finding, um, if there are any trends, where are you finding the trends in check sizes at each at each pre-seed, seed, Series A, et cetera? It's in, a, it's in, in quite a lot of flux at, uh, at, at the moment. We're seeing, seeing um, uh, quite a lot of change, basically at all stages. Well, at, at seed um, and Series A, trending, trending down beyond that, uh, this year have kind of ground ground to a halt. Uh, there really you know, have been haven't been very many uh, transactions that size. And then at all the other stages, yeah, the the, deal, the deals have got smaller, um, sort of back end of last year and, and and this year. And actually, also people are just sticking with uh, existing stuff. So the 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 thing that we've been flagging quite a lot is new companies getting funded has really. Fallen, fallen off a cliff, which yeah makes sense in times of uncertainty. You back uh, the companies already in your portfolio rather than the new stuff, which is necessarily uh, the, the the riskiest stuff. Um, and all of that, alongside it, has a lot of changes in in, in valuation um, associated as well. So all of those terms and all of the valuations are, are shifting as as well. But downwards is the general trajectory at the moment, and we're probably not at the bottom yet. Obviously, uh, it is absolutely correct. It's tough out there. It's really tough out there to, to raise right now. And what we're seeing is that when people would have expected to raise, you know, f to take six months to raise around, it's taking nine months. Um, it is the case that people will go out with ambitions to raise this amount of money at this valuation. And maybe they're thinking either to um, eke out a little bit longer and, and see if they can make that a bit later or, or to take you know there's a lot of convertible loan notes going on 
Um, so they're, they're taking a different solution to extend their runway. It's a lot to do with, you know, it, two years ago when everything was quite frothy, uh, you could raise on a lot more on aspiration. And now people are looking much more for kind of data. They want people to have achieved their milestones. Uh, so actually they're looking to bridge maybe for another nine, 12 months, not only to see if the environment is getting any better and, and, and investors have more money to, to put to play, but also to make sure they've really nailed their milestones and therefore they can show progress over time. But I mean, in, a, in the circumstances we're in at the moment, venture capitalists are reserving their funds for their existing portfolio. They're also maybe finding it slightly harder to raise their next fund. And the combination of those two things automatically means that things get harder. Now, it doesn't mean that really great companies don't still make amazing raises and at amazing valuations, because obviously, you know, the really amazing companies will still do that. Um, but for opportunities, for example, on the Impulse program at the moment, um, we, you know, we might say, well, you know, if you can incubate your opportunity for a little bit longer in the university to make sure that you've got a really solid foundation, you can build that value, then, then hopefully you, you are at the, you know, the top end of the things that people look at. And then for the investors that are making new investments, and there are still some out there, that, that you, you meet their criteria. Hi, Nikki Dibbon, Invention Marketing. Um, I work with uh, high-tech companies from early stage all the way through uh, from a strategic and marketing perspective. What do you feel, I mean, the lament from quite a few even exited founders yesterday was that the commercialization and exploitation side of things aren't getting enough interest and enough attention early on. What do you feel that our local ecosystem should do better to help with the commercialization and exploitation rather than after product, after investment, after sales? It's a how and a during and a before, not just an after. Thank you. So you're talking about how can we help pre-revenue companies? Whether it's pre-revenue or whether it's slightly past revenue, but what I do know is that you know marketing with a capital M, not a small M, um, is usually sort of a bolt-on after afterthoughts. And I would like it to be whether it's pre-revenue or or even even sort of you know I work with companies who've raised sort of five or ten million and they're still like thinking, oh yeah, perhaps we should do some of this marketing stuff. So um, so we try very hard to make sure that you know when when we're helping. Um, uh, a new founding team um, think about their strategy going forward to make sure that they they effectively think about a roadmap that in includes everything. So not just the technical milestones. And, and what you find, particularly with the uh, academics um, founding companies directly out of the university, they really do understand what is their technical roadmap. They know what product they want to make and they know what solution they're going to provide. And they're probably also not um, you know, somewhat informed about what a commercial roadmap might look like um, and what objectives and milestones investors might want to see. But you're absolutely right. They, they, for us, we kind of find not, not just the marketing, but the sales tends to be quite alien to a lot of the people in the founding teams. And so we, we try very hard. I mean, one of the things which we try and do is we try and make sure that with every company that we're working with, that we're making introductions to companies that are two stages ahead. So if we've got a company that are gonna make a new piece of kit for a lab, we'll introduce them to a company in our portfolio that's you know five years ahead of them who understand how difficult it is to get from actually having a product to actually being able to 
you know, engage their customers and sell it and, and, and market it and, and, you know, marketing and then sales. So I agree with you that it, and it's a bit like um, the other thing that companies find quite difficult is the concept of scale up. It's like, well, we can make it, therefore, obviously we can scale it. And actually, it, it, there's always iteration in those processes. And it's something that if you can bring in experienced people who have done it before, and this comes down to the talent, if we can draw those experienced people in who have done it before and recycle them, then, um, then they will bring their experience and they will say, well, it is important that you start this now, and you don't wait till then. Um, but, but it is about kind of educating. And, and the other thing that, that can be amazing in Cambridge is you get serial entrepreneurs. So you get the entrepreneurs that have done it first and they think, oh, we did this too late last time. So the next time they, they kind of do, do these bits earlier and, and hopefully um, in that way, the companies, I guess, become more sophisticated. Uh, if you were prime minister for the day, which can be the case these days in politics, <laughs> what, what single policy would you put in place to make it easier for Cambridge to thrive as, as a hub? Since I've got the microphone, I'll go first. I would release some of the pension money. I think, you know, <laughs> cash is king. Money draws things, you know, just having a massive pot of money will draw ideas out of the university. It will, it will, it will make people think, what can I do? How can I solve my problems? You know, how can I deploy cash? And it's not a complicated thing to do. And it's, and, and it's not like everyone else isn't doing it. So, you know, conceptually, um, I think it, you know, it's an obvious step. Then who is it that actually gets to deploy that cash is, you know, a second question. Um, uh, but I think, you know, bring the cash, it will definitely make a massive difference. And in lieu of that, um, I would focus on how to ensure that growth is something that benefits everybody in the region. So I would probably think about what devolution policies I would need to make so that Cambridge had more control over what grows here so that the people here actually benefit schools, hospitals, roads, potholes and so on. Uh, mine's quite a simple one. I would just get, uh, I would make Jeremy reverse his recent changes to the R&D tax credit scheme uh, because it has gone away from smaller companies and towards larger companies. Maybe the extra benefit for larger companies should stay, but... Uh, it will take it all. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Wonderful. Uh, okay, so my final wrap-up question is the threats and opportunities for Cambridge moving forward. There's quite a lot in there to unpack. We'll see kind of what the initial responses to that question are as we go through the panel. But we've heard the theme of collaboration coming out quite strongly and this desire to be open as a city. So we can maybe explore some of that as we go through the answers, how the university is sharing its kind of... Uh, knowledge in terms of being one of the leading universities in spinning out companies and how that's being shared. Um, that would be really interesting to get get into. So maybe we start there, Christine. So I think Cambridge does have a, a responsibility in the UK, along with, you know, other, other fantastic universities, to make sure that the UK, not just Cambridge, is really good at you know, the commercialization of the output of academic research. After all, academic research is fundamentally paid for by the taxpayer, you know, either through research councils or, um, or, or through charities. And, and of course, you know, um, universities are motivated to benefit society. So uh, we, we spend a lot of time, you know, we're, we're in the 4U, the 6U, the 10U, um, sharing best practice. 
Um, we also are very active in Praxis, which is effectively an organisation that does a lot of training. And, uh, and it's open not just to universities, but to, you know, the charitable sector as well, because bear in mind, you know, um, Cancer Research UK, investing companies and start companies as well, and so do LifeArc. So there is a, quite a lot of collaboration across the UK, and the tenue goes out into universities um, in America, and, and I think Leuven is part of the tenue as well. So we have this best practice stuff going on, and it's not just about you know, investing in spin-outs and starting spin-outs, there's also the whole accelerator piece, try and make sure that the spin-outs that come, come out of universities for investment are in the best shape that they can be, so that they are investable and they do attract the money. So, um, so there is a big piece about um, how, you know, we have a responsibility to, to help people more broadly than the university and, and my team you know even within Cambridge things like the impulse are available to anyone it's not a Cambridge based thing uh, any company can um, apply to join the Accel Accelerate Judge um, and, and, and on the life sciences the Babraham Accelerator and, and my, my team will lecture mentor advise judge on the Trinity Bradfield Prize the impulse e-tech there's loads of stuff going on so really putting back into the the community and making sure that the whole cambridge ecosystem not just from the university is well supported is very important to us i think the the threats are that we don't find a way to be more than the sum of our parts and i think the opportunity is that we do find a way to be more than the sum of our parts and it's actually events like cambridge tech week and things that we're starting to see happen already that the Innovate Cambridge process has been so excited about because actually Cambridge is moving towards being more collaborative with each other, being more collaborative internationally and that I think is what needs to keep, keep happening. You know, it's the most amazing city for the most amazing people, the most amazing discoveries and now it's about saying okay, We've got some really good big businesses, but how do we make sure that we support others? They don't have to scale here in the city, but that they do scale and remain with their brain trust here in the city. And that is going to take hard work. That doesn't happen by happenstance. You know, we've spoken a lot about sliding door moments and things that might have happened differently. But actually, I think now we need to take control of our own destiny and say, okay, what is the things that we collectively agree want to do. And I, I, I have the honor of um, working on that with Innovate Cambridge. And so I think the opportunity is huge. Yeah, I think uh, it's probably something around leveraging the brand, if I can use such a, such a horrible term. Obviously, Cambridge has, Cambridge has all of the sort of soft power as a brand, and it is starting to become associated uh, sort of internationally um, with tech growth and tech uh, tech innovation. A great example is I went to a Cambridge Enterprise uh, event a few a few months ago where there's a sort of parade of uh, successful spin-out founders and it was open to, to, to everyone, which was great. And the, the, the positioning of it was, you can and should do this. You should be thinking about this as a path. When I was at university, it was, you might want to consider academia or just come back when you've got money you can give us. Um, and that was the attitude. Whereas this was like, you are you need to be thinking about what you're going to do next. And here are some really inspirational spin-out founders. So the opportunity is already being acted on, I think is, is fair to say. Yeah, and just to say, you know, with regard to the threats, I think Cambridge is quite a small place. And sometimes, you know, it's like, well, we want loads of really big companies to come here. And we really do. Uh, I think there are some voices that say, well, you know, 
what will happen to the roads and how am I going to get my child into school and what have you. All these things need to be met head on, addressed and dealt with. Because you don't want a, a big company to come to Cambridge. I mean, every time a big company comes to Cambridge, it's a massive opportunity. AZ coming here, massive opportunity. You know, Apple, Microsoft, it's a massive opportunity. Let's embrace those opportunities and not basically put a wall up that says, oh, but this isn't good because of A, B, and C. How about this is an opportunity, therefore we need to deal with A, B, and C. So actually meet it head on, see those challenges coming, make sure the infrastructure, you know, all the logistics are gonna work for our city. And then our city, you know, it's going to grow and it's going to attract that business. And we don't want to be manufacturing in the city centre. You know, wouldn't it be great if our companies that, that, that grow up in Cambridgeshire manufacture in the surrounding regions and it'll just grow and grow? Well, that's a, a positive note to end on. Thank you, Christine. Join me in thanking our panel. Hopefully you've felt that's been a really insightful conversation. And now for this week's tech news in partnership with Business Weekly. As previously mentioned in our news updates, Arm are ramping up for its Wall Street IPO and could be on the road as early as September. Market expectations are for the valuation to be between 60 to 70 billion US dollars. Price comparison service Broadband Genie has appointed Elisa Valho as its first CEO. Elisa previously spent nine years at Broadband Provider Talk Talk. And last year, Broadband Genie saw record revenue of 4.4 million, up 145% in five years. Cambridge mobile commerce specialist Bango generated strong first half growth with revenue up 88% to 20.3 million with a very high gross profit margin of 90%. Cybersecurity leaders Darktrace have launched a new product called Darktrace Heal, which is AI enabled and helps businesses more effectively prepare and recover from cyber attacks. AIM quoted vehicle tracking specialist Quartex increased group revenue by 10% to 14.6 million in the six months to June 30th. And finally, Mimi Creek came second in the National KPMG Tech Innovators competition. So congratulations to them. And we will be having Mimi Creek CEO Liz Zing Lee on the show soon. If you would like to see the data referenced in this episode, you can download the Bohurst report from the Bradfield Center website. Simply visit bradfieldcenter.com, look for the community main menu, and then the blog where you will see the post. Huge thanks to Carl Homer at Cambridge TV for delivering such a high-quality live recording from a very bustling bar at the start of day four of Cambridge Tech Week. And finally, if you're not already following the podcast on LinkedIn, please do. It's the perfect way to stay up to date with the show and share your feedback with us. More than 1,000 people already have, so search for Cambridge Tech Podcast on LinkedIn and hit follow. See you next week. Today's show was produced by Carl Homer of Cambridge TV and supported by our media partner, Business Weekly. The Cambridge Tech Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms and on cambridgetechpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review. It will really help others discover the show. 